Welcome, Mech Commanders everywhere, to the latest edition of the Coolant Pod Podcast, Lore Master Edition. Tonight we're going to switch it up from the Intersphere Great Houses and take a look at what happens when Indiana Jones goes on a peyote bender and is given enough weaponry to level a small city, or a large world in some cases. Yeah, that's right, tonight we are talking about Clan Goliath Scorpion. So sit back, relax, please ignore the random clangs and mutterings from Tech Fran in the background. You know, we don't understand what he's saying either. Something about foosball using high quality coolant and some nonsense about the new mech warrior uh bobby boucher song i don't know it sounded like babadoo baba he's supposed to be stretching out the biomer bundles to repair that faulty groin actuator in the inflatable urban mech so we can get that thing functional again for the next event so tonight our hosts are i'm chris also known as jesty i'm tom call sign pirate and i'm jeff call sign tweezer so tonight, as usual, we're going to cover an overview of the in-universe faction history, events, important characters, commonly used mechs, weapons, tactics, in-universe units, and paint schemes for your hobby. But first, we wanted to talk about the new segment that we started on the last episode for the variant of the episode. So we're going to go through and talk about something that we've picked out out of the master unit list that speaks to us for Clan Goliath Scorpion. So, Pirate... How about you take a crack at this first? So I want to talk about something that is near and dear to me, which is the Warhawk H. I used it in Two Kid Heat. It happens to be available for Goliath Scorpion, but it is a solid Warhawk. Most Warhawks you think of dual ERPPCs, targeting computer and LRMs, but this one, it has two large pulse lasers, two heavy large lasers, and an LRM-10 in there with that targeting computer. Is there such a thing as a not solid Warhawk? They start getting some weird stuff like plasma rifles in the Ill Clan with the Scorpion Empire kind of cobbling things together. So questionable? Maybe not unsolid. I mean, they've all got target computers, so they're automatically going to be that much better. High damage laser weapons. Yeah, which helps when you run 6-6 pilots because that large pulse and targeting computer suddenly makes that gunnery a 3, but you only pay for 6. But I really like it just because that heavy laser, it surprises people when you start doing 16 damage. There are so many units out there that have exactly 15 on the torsos because, well, that's three medium lasers or clusters of LRMs. 15's a magic number, so hitting one section for 16 really does take a few people by surprise because you do an insta-crit. Oh yeah, and it's a head capper for sure. And is a 4-6 assault mech that kicks like a beast. So I love it, and I think people should try it more as a nice replacement for the standard ERPPC vote. What's the battle value on that bad boy? Uh, surprisingly, not a ton. I don't have it handy, but it's not too much. Oh, oh, hang on. Let me do the research. Where is it? Masakari H2601. That's not bad at all. No, especially when you got 42 CT armor and 26 on the sides and arms, basically. It's a brick. It'll take some punishment. And it's a not exactly heat neutral. 50 heat sinks is barely enough to keep it running for alpha striking turn after turn. 50 heat sinks not being enough is an outrageous statement. Just, just throw that out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens if you get those heavy large lasers going. Well, so if I was bringing one on the field, what's it shooting at tonight, Justy? Well, 
I'm actually going to be talking about a mech that only has one variant, and it's highly experimental. This is an Ilclan Scorpion uh, Empire only. It's called the Rhino. It is quad mech. As far as I know, it's unique to Clan Goliath Scorpion, and it's got some unique tech on it. Its namesake is the Rhino, and it's modeled after ramming your opponent. So you're going to be charging with this thing as its intended purpose. It has a ram plate, which is experimental tech. It takes up slots in all three torsos, and it reduces the damage that you take on a charge by 50%. So it makes charging very efficient. It also has spikes, so you do even more damage on a charge. On top of that, it's got five ER medium lasers and 12 double heat sinks for 24 total. So you can fire four of those bad boys almost every turn. It's also got mask and a 300 uh, XL engine. So it's a 50 tonner and it hits like a truck. And it's pretty quick for a quad mech. So I'm doing the math in my head. I think that's 13 hexes. So you can do 12, 50 tonner. You got the ram plate and spikes. I don't know quite how the spikes affect the damage. But even if without the spikes, 50 over 12 hexes, that's 60 damage. In clusters of five. Yeah, with the spikes, it's going to be even more. That sounds like the way I play the Assassin, just a super ramming thing. I love the sound of that. and I may try to find an excuse to play it, but it means I have to play Clan again. Uh, it is production year 3137, so you may be able to get it in uh, right before Clan. Is that late Republic era? So you might have two eras where it's viable. Uh, but yeah, this particular mech is featured in the Hanseatic Crusade Spotlight On book or whatever it's called. That's where you get the specs for the Ramplate and the Rhino itself and the record sheets. You know, prepping for this uh, episode, I kept seeing references to Turning Point's Hanseatic Crusade over and over and over and over. I might have to go get that PDF now. Oh, it's one of my favorites. I've read through it a couple times. Uh, one thing to note, there is no official art for it as of right now. It's just a silhouette of a Goliath for the art, unfortunately. Hopefully we'll get some in the future. So I can take a 40k Battlefield Gothic miniature and it's legal technically. Got it. You can take an actual literal rhino and use it as a mini for it for all I care. Because <laughs> there's no official model or art. So go for it. Well, now that we've talked about the cruise missile and legs here, uh, I went with something a little bit different. Uh, so I went with the Ebon Jaguar H. So if you're not familiar with the H, the H has uh, an ultra auto cannon 20, a heavy large laser, a pair of heavy mediums, and a single medium pulse laser with a targeting computer. H stands for heavy. Yeah, you had me at ultra auto cannon 20. And targeting computer. That just seems really nasty. It'll get a little bit hot, uh, especially as you keep running and gunning with it, but uh, that is a lot of damage you can put out on surprisingly good numbers. Yeah, no kidding. What's the price on this bad boy? That sounds really, really nice and expensive. BV is $23.59. Okay, okay, that's actually not terrible. My, my Warhawk's cheaper than that. What the heck? No, your Warhawk's 300 battle value more. Oh, well, I can't count. Oh, and the Rhino is a 21-24 battle. But yeah, that can, uh, that can push out 
close to 70 points of damage on an alpha strike. Yeah, that's an insane heavy hitter. All right, well, that's what we have for today. So hopefully you all out there can can try out some new stuff and uh, just throw some people on Mega Mech or Tabletop, whatever your poison is for the day. One other thing that we wanted to talk about um, before we focus on more Goliath Scorpion stuff is we did want to go back and highlight some of the things that we saw in the the last really awesome you know thread that we had on the MRC Discord for the painting challenge. So we when we had the Fed Sons episode, we had a bunch of submissions for that, and I wanted to call out a few of the folks. So first was Xander with uh, the Davian Guard. Uh, we had designated DM with a Vindicator and a Lance of the First Royal Cavaliers. Uh, Total Dawson with a Crab that was very, very green. Clint was a Battle Axe. Pirate, you submitted your Dawn Guards Templar. Uh, and then Comrade Novacat had a really sweet camo Sagittaire. Um, I gotta admit, there was a lot more green than I expected. I mean, I knew we had a lot of green in that, but I was expecting more than one Captain America back. I know, I'm disappointed. I need more blue in my life. Well, that's why you should paint for these things. I know, I know. I need to paint, and I will. I'm actually working on minis now, so don't worry. But thank you, everyone, for submitting those. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll post another painting challenge for Clan Goliath Scorpion for this coming month or however long it is before we do the next lore episode. Um, so, yeah, please go try something new. Find a unit that you never painted before and, and give it a shot. I will say that was a lot of fun to do. And also the um, you know impromptu hangouts we've been doing, just painting stuff up, that um, really helps explore not only just some of the custom units but i really love the canon ones and give me a reason to paint that mech that i have that i'm never going to use for anything ever again that's always fun but it looks so pretty on the shelf it does like i have no reason to ever play those a-hole davians but you know what i do have a templar and it's cool and it's davian only so hey there is nothing wrong with playing templars agreed Except you have to be Davian. I mean, there's such a thing as salvage. Capellans did nothing wrong. Anyway. Yeah, uh, one other thing from an MRC standpoint, we do have a correction to make for our last episode. Uh, there has been a slight change in plans for the event at the beginning of the year. Um, unfortunately, Nitro is not going to be able to run the Operation Dragon Slayer event. I think we're going to push that off to later on in the year. But uh, Deviant Brad has been a champ and stepped up and has this really cool tournament coming up that Jesty has covered in a great YouTube video, if you care to, to go over and check out Jesty's YouTube channel. Uh, but Jesty, do you want to give the listeners just a, a quick highlight about what's going to be in this tournament? Yeah, so it's going to be Tukiyat based it's called Tukiid in the new year and we're going to be replaying four different scenarios uh, from the Tukiid scenario book one of them is going to be i think clan jade falcon river crossing one of them is going to be clan ghost bear and there's two other ones uh, one of them's wolf or something like that they're not important but uh it is going to be Tukiid theme it's going to be clans versus inner sphere so if you pick inner sphere and you pick clans you're going to have different objectives for both of those. Uh, the clans are a little more mobility slash kill them all based, and the Inner Sphere basically don't really have too many 
complicated objectives other than kill the clans and don't let the clans do X. So stop them from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Got it. Precisely. And one thing that I saw on the, the rule packet is you're not limited to the, the lists for the specific factions that were on Tuki. And so you can take any inner sphere faction um, from 3052 and you can submit a list on that and you will play on the inner sphere side. Is that correct? That is correct. So you could make a clan cloud cobra list and then play for the clans. Or you could make a Torian Concordat list and play for the Inner Sphere. The list uh, is agnostic from the faction Inner Sphere slash clan that you're going to be playing for. But you do have to follow all your standard MUL requirements. So if you're playing Torians, only mechs off the Torian list. If you're playing Cloud Cobra, only mechs off the Cloud Cobra. And of course, their associated general lists, if they have them. Have any of y'all submitted your list yet? Because I did live. Uh, I didn't submit it, but I made three different ones, and I haven't chosen which one I'm going to use in the uh, YouTube video I made recently. So, <laughs> more than likely, it's it's going to be the first one I made. There can be only one. I finished up my clan list, uh, but I am going to make up a Comstar list as well and send that over and let Brad kind of put me on whatever side he needs to have me on. Yeah, actually, I made a Fed Sons list, and two different clan lists. So once I decide on which clan list I'm, I want to run, I'll be submitting mine too. That's pretty much what I did. I got Steel Vipers and maybe Lirans. I forgot what it was, but I sent in some Air Sphere list. But I was like, preference clans. But I'll have an IS list if we need. Although, if it's anything like Two Kid Heat, I think we're going to have a lot more clan or Inner Sphere players than clan players. Yep, we can't let those Inner Sphere bad people win again. Your clan players got to represent. Be interesting to see how it comes out. As I was reading the packet, it feels like on most of the missions, the clan side tends to have a slightly more challenging objective to to get through, aside from just kill them all. So it'll be interesting to see the balance as far as you know. Does that really work out that way to to where the clans are at a disadvantage they have to overcome? Uh, the only good thing is that the clans can always fall back to kill them all themselves too. So the maps are definitely not equal. The clans do have an uphill battle. I will say that after doing some testing, but it's going to be a fun event either way. I think the uneven maps just adds to it because it'll be memorable. It's hard to make a completely 100% balanced event and also be interesting. Uh, so I'm excited. Great job, Brad, for pulling this together quickly and getting everything out there. So thank you very much for stepping up, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Uh, it's going to be a great time, and there's a lot of new people signing up as well, joining the Discord specifically for this event. So hopefully we can clear 30, 35 players this time. Yeah, new best practice. Start spamming it on Reddit and get a lot of additional people. Now, if I was going to go... With I don't know, maybe Clan Goliath Scorpion. What should what should I know about them? Well, pirate, since you're asking, <laughs> maybe we can go ahead and get into it a little bit here. So uh, we'll go ahead and start our history uh, brief of Clan Goliath Scorpion. So Jesse, you know, I I think I need you to correct me here because I have a, a misconception about Goliath Scorpion probably from the original art that I saw. It was 
I think they're the original Mech Warrior art had like a, a you know a scarf. It looked very deserty. It looked very nomadic, and I don't think that's really what they're at like after all. Is that the one that's got that blue and black? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what art you're talking about, and that's art for like a specific sub faction of uh, Clan Goliath Scorpions units, which they have a few different ones that are pretty interesting. So they're not all ninjas? No, they are not all ninjas, and they do not all run around wearing turbans, funnily enough. So what do they do then? Well, before we get into what they do, we have to go into where they came from. And we all know the clans came with Alexander Kerensky and the SLDF's exodus uh, to the clan homeworld. And after Alexander croaked, uh, his incompetent son, Nikki took over, and he made the clans what they are today, uh, at least made the founding of what the clans are. Is it Thursday? That seemed like a really hot take. No, no, I don't think it was. Anyway, moving on. I will take no questions currently. Uh, clan Goliath Scorpion was one of the original 20 clans. Uh, they were pretty well put together. I mean, they were more of a combined arms regiment than you might think. Uh, everyone thinks Hell's Horses when they think combined arms and clans, but Clan Goliath Scorpion is right up there with them, probably in a close to not so far second when it comes to combined arms. They do rely heavily on it. One thing to note about Clan Goliath Scorpion is, as you mentioned earlier in the intro, they are pretty much kind of like Indiana Jones in the sense that they're trying to catalog and library artifacts from the original SLDF and Starling. So that way they can recreate it later and learn from it and its mistakes and learn what made it so great, which is not a bad philosophy, if you ask me. Okay, now you may ask any questions. So Old St. Nick is uh, takes on a different meaning in the homeworlds, right? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right, so the Scorpions, along with all of the other original 20 clans, were originally uh, attacking the first uh, part of Operation Klondike where the, uh, what were those five worlds? The Pentagon worlds, right? That's what they were called, Dagda. Uh, yes. Yes. Sirius, Sirius and all those ones, yeah. The Scorpions were assigned Dagda, and they had probably the most heavily equipped opponents on the planet Dagda. And they ended up uh, winning, but with heavy losses. And so they didn't participate in the final battles of the Dagda campaign, unfortunately. But uh, they did come out pretty good, and they made a good showing for themselves in Operation Klondike. Uh, in the early days of the clan, during the Golden Century, the clans uh, were awarded most, uh, not most, but a portion of Dagda, and they used a lot of the sea floor uh, to do deep sea mining. And in order to do that deep sea mining, they had to develop underwater mining suits for the miners. And these were called water elementals. This is probably the biggest contribution, or one of the biggest contributions that the Goliath Scorpions have to the Battletech the game per the history, is they're responsible for Clan Wolf taking the water elementals and turning them into actual elemental combat suits. So, as we all know, Clan Wolf developed the elemental combat suit based off of the water elemental mining suit that the Clan Goliath Scorpion developed. 
Now, is that related to the, the Undine battle armor? Because I saw references to that, but I didn't really figure that out. Hey, quit looking ahead, all right? We're, we'll get there when we get there. Don't make me pull this dropship over. I'm a mongoose player. I'm trying to cheat. Oh, that's fair. Yes, actually. Uh, Clan Goliath Scorpion did develop the Undyne battle armor. Surprisingly enough, they were fairly aquatic in their original you know, state. They developed underwater battle armor. They developed underwater mining suits, not, let alone underwater mining facilities. I mean, which is a whole other engineering marvel. Uh, their original first con was a member of the SLDF Corps of Engineers. It's part of his influence as to why they were so focused on engineering and not necessarily going all in when it comes to the warrior cast. They definitely have the cast system in place, but they're one of the more, uh, I should say, lenient and or accepting clans when it comes to other casts. They have the most freeborn warriors uh, of any clan, pretty sure. And uh, they treat everybody pretty fairly and well, uh, even in the lower castes, like the civilian and scientist castes. As far as, you know, most clan enjoyers, they were like, oh, Ghost Bear, Ghost Bear's great, family, yeah, all that. I would say Clan Goliath Scorpion takes a more realistic approach to what makes Clan Ghost Bear so well-liked. So Clan Wolf developed the elemental battle suit off of the water elementals. Did Goliath Scorpion know what they had, or was there some kind of reciprocity where they were able to develop the elementals quicker than others? Because I, I remember reading that Goliath Scorpion and Wolf had been loosely allied for, for a significant amount of time. Yes, actually they did. So briefly, or shortly after Clan Wolf unveiled the elementals, uh, they traded uh, Clan Wolf for the rights and the designs to the plan or the rights to the design plans. So did they actually trade or did they like trial and it was kind of a, a mock, hey, we're gonna we're gonna have a fight, but you know, wink wink nudge nudge, you're gonna win. No, it said it was a straight up trade. Uh they traded breeding rights for some of their bloodlines for 20 suits of elementals. They were very close uh allied with Clan Wolf, at least at this time. Clan Wolf may not have considered them that close of an ally, but they definitely took, I wouldn't say took advantage, but they were allies with the Scorpions while it was convenient for them. Uh, one thing to note, Clan Goliath Scorpion did have trouble getting their hands on Omnimech technology. They didn't really get into Omnimechs until later on, after they were already well established. Funnily enough, uh, they would keep challenging Clan Coyote and win the large battles. But then when Clan Coyote would invoke Zalbriggan and challenge them to duels, they would lose the duels to the Omnimax, <laughs> which kind of sucks for them. They're like, damn it, we're winning. But hey, we challenge you to a duel and you can't refuse. And then they lose the duel because the mechs just outperform their non-Omnimax uh, in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. That sounds like doing the whole bigger picture thing, like you mentioned with the cast versus somebody else like uh, Coyote, who might be going more, you know, individual warrior. Yeah, one thing to know, Clan Goliath Scorpion is extremely traditional when it comes to Zelbrigan. They adhere to Zelbrigan more fiercely than pretty much any other clan, from what I've read. Which, for someone so not really progressive, but open, you would think that would be, uh, it's kind of like a conflict of ideals. First of all, the Goliath Scorpions created 
are are one of the things they're known for most is their seekers, which are people who basically emulate Indiana Jones and they go raiding, you know, libraries or wherever they can find artifacts of SLDF or, you know, things that they think are important, like an original Mackie as a symbol of the SLDF. And those are the Goliath Scorpion Seekers. And they are a combat effective unit, and they're one of the more prestigious units within Clan Goliath Scorpion. They basically get to pick their own party of adventurers, so like they get to bring along an Aztec and a bard to chronicle their journeys and go out drinking Necrosia, which is which we'll get into following the visions that it gives them to go plunder and loot artifacts from the SLDF and anything that anything else that may be beneficial to the clan. Space D and D, got it. Yeah, and if you're gonna be doing space D and D using a time of war or destiny, Goliath Scorpion Seeker Star might be one of the best candidates for an actual campaign, if you ask me. Yeah, you get to have your own little retinue, you get to have someone walking behind you saying brave, brave Sir Robin, brave Sir Robin. Yeah, actually that's very, very accurate. <laughs> I was just verbal poop posting, but I'm actually excited. Now, I'll touch on Necrosia a bit here. So the original founder of the Seeker movement was stung by a Goliath Scorpion. So as we all know, the clans are named after an actual creature from the home worlds. And the Goliath Scorpion's venom is supposed to be extremely deadly. And this lore master, Ethan Moreau, survived getting stung by this monstrous Goliath Scorpion which I don't think they ever say how big the damn thing is, but it's called a Goliath Scorpion, so I'm assuming it's at least large dog sized. The clan initiated a, a rite where all initiates and warriors would go through a sting from the Goliath Scorpion, but the casualties were so high that the scientist cast developed a substitute based on the venom called Necrosia, which wasn't really as poisonous, but it kept the hallucinogenic effects of the sting. So now, if you're a seeker, you drink your necrosia, you go on a wild vision quest, and then you go plunder the galaxy for lost SLDF artifacts. You could be gone for you know years at a time on a on a mission to plunder stuff, and then come back. And as long as you come back and you make a showing of what you've acquired for the clan, then everything's good. You gain honor, and everybody's happy. If you don't come back for whatever reason, you're automatically branded a renegade or an outlaw or dark cast. Did it all for the XP. That's right. Getting into it further along, we're through the golden age now, and now we're getting into the early stages before the clan invasion. This is when the wardens and crusaders are bickering and, and challenging each other. And the wardens are still in control. They're still winning these challenges. And they come up with the Dragoon Compromise. As we all know, this is the origin of Wolf's Dragoons. As some of you may not know, Clan Goliath Scorpion bachalled to be the ones to train Wolf's Dragoons. And the bid went unopposed, which means nobody else wanted the job, apparently. The Goliath Scorpions were chomping at the bit to get at it. The Goliath Scorpions are well-versed in SLDF tactics and combined arms and all that. So they used what they're good at and what their specialty is, which is learning and using SLDF tactics to train Wolf's Dragoons. 
We all know clans use stars. They had to break the habit out of the warriors going on Wolf's Dragoon's uh, expedition and train them in lance formations, train them in inner sphere zeitgeist and combat tactics and all that. And so they had to basically retrain everybody who was leaving to go to the inner sphere to fight like the SLDF. They spent two years doing this, if I'm not mistaken. And it paid off, as you can tell. When the Wolf Dragoons arrived in the Inner Sphere, they were a mercenary unit that was unrivaled by all but the most elite Inner Sphere units. We can't really understate just how big of an adjustment that had to be mentally for the Beck Warriors that were in the Wolf Dragoons. I mean, they're having to retrain their entire life's worth of of tactics and combat strategy by this point in time and replace it with something that would have been considered antiquated by the clans, but it was absolutely necessary for them to successfully masquerade as a true inner sphere unit. So that that's really impressive that uh, a clan could be forward thinking and flexible enough to say, yes, we can, we can fight in this manner and we can show you how to fight in this manner. Yeah, and it just makes it all that more surprising that they so strictly adhere to Zalbrig more than almost any other clan. Well, I was going to say, if you're going to be a rule stickler, well, I have to follow Zalbrig because that's the way we do things. So, well, we have to do SLDF tactics because that's the way they did things. You know, if you look at it that way, just sticking with this is the... What is what is the the phrase the young kids say? They read the assignment, you know. Like we know we need to do this one specific thing. Let's just do that. Uh, the kids are never going to listen to this podcast now. That's all right. We should go ahead and make this a mature audience only as well. Then keep them out. Uh, one thing to note: it was the elite heart venom cluster uh, that trained wolf dragoons. So it's a specific elite unit within the Goliath Scorpion clan that trained Wolf Dragoons. And uh, apparently they were equal to any elite frontline cluster uh, before they left to go to the Inner Sphere. find it an interesting parallel to many years later, the Comstar Invader Galaxy that was configured like a clan unit to help train the Inner Sphere on how to fight against clan and how to use clan tactics. So it's kind of, you know, good ideas keep coming back around. So... I'm going to throw a little tidbit in here, and this is just all uh, my own little headcanon. This may or may not be proven true in the future. But we all know who Snord, uh, Cranston Snord is, and Snord's Irregulars are, I'm assuming. If you don't, basically, they went on the Wolf Dragoons expedition, and they broke off from the Wolf Dragoons because, you know, who goes to the Inner Sphere with however many mechs they had, which was an outrageous number for a mercenary unit. So Cranston Snord broke off, founded his own mercenary unit called Snord's Irregulars, and he is very well known for being an artifact slash treasure hunter. Uh, he opened up a library on his own planet for his mercenary unit, Snord's Irregulars. And it seems that he was, if not from Clan Goliath Scorpion, he was very heavily influenced by Clan Goliath Scorpion because he's basically doing what the Scorpions do out in clan space in the inner sphere. I don't think that's just personal headcanon for you. I can't find it really quickly, but I do remember reading somewhere that some Scorpions joined the Wolf Dragoons and actually went on that adventure with them. So it would not surprise me in the least bit to find uh, 
what you just stated to be 100% fact, or maybe it's one of those hidden little secrets that we can go back and, and talk to Lauren Coleman about sometime. And you can be like, yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's true. Yeah. I remember looking for official sources and not being able to find any. And when I did ask about it, they were like, no, he's part of West Jagoons. He was never from San Goliath Scorpion. He was just influenced by them. Maybe possibly. I like so, I like the sarcasm. It just adds to it. Yeah, so that was the response I got from community members out in the Aether when I uh, put this forward. So if there is evidence to prove this, please send it my way so I can say, ha, 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 I was right. Uh, I'll see if I can remember... I might just be making this up too, but it, it makes sense to me. And, you know, we're saying it. So if it's not canon, then maybe we can make it canon. And you can listen That's some fun. more about this in our Cranston Snort episode. You can click on the link here. We haven't recorded it yet, but in about two years when we get to it, this will all be retroactively appropriate. Quick, get hands on for a guest spot to write a book on it. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> Okay, so moving on now. Uh, now that we're going into the clan invasion, as we all know, Clan Goliath Scorpion did not take part in it, at least not in the first wave. They were a homeworld warden clan through and through. Uh, and I don't think they made, made it through the trials until like way later after Tukia during the refusal war. But as we just said, clan invasion starting up and a whole bunch of clan forces from the invading clans are leaving on a year-long journey to get to the inner sphere and that means them artifacts are ripe for the picking for clan goliath scorpion because a lot of worlds that would be defended by you know clusters worth of troops are now being defended by probably token forces so clan goliath scorpion went on like a crime spree basically uh, during the during the clan invasion at least against the invading clans, while their forces were out of the homeworlds and took advantage of the situation by claiming a bunch of artifacts from them while they weren't there to defend themselves. Breaking the law, breaking the law. No, no, it's not breaking the law if you patrol. Remember, kids. You can patrol for anything. That's right. You can patrol their patrol. Now, didn't... Wasn't there a small contingent that also went along with the, the invading clans and like a star or something that participated on Tukiad? Uh There may have been like a small token force. I just don't recall reading about that. I, I haven't, I'm not too familiar with Tukiad, uh, but I do know that they did support the invading clans in any way they could, especially Clan Wolf, uh, since they were pretty tight with Clan Wolf at the time. Yeah, I could just imagine the, the the Seeker cluster sending a lot of people as far as they possibly could saying, hey, we'll go with you and we're going to get there and then go digging on our own. Yeah, actually, now that I remember uh, looking through my notes here, they were actually rewarded with an original Mackie for their part in uh, the invasion. That's supposed to be an honor, right? Yeah, an original Mackie? What are you talking about? That's a museum piece. Okay. I mean, remember who we're talking about here, Pirate? Well, that is true, because I just remember, uh, was it, was it Thurston? Anyway, whoever wrote the novel Free Birth 
and they gave a, a Freebirth pilot of Mackie as a joke. So, you know, I guess, uh, you know, we're putting the weight on it being an SLDF artifact, not Urban Mech's big drunken grandpa. Well, so that was the Smoke Jags that did that. And, well, that's a that's a story for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm going to say is one man's trash is a Goliath Scorpion's treasure. <laughs> well said. I think that might actually have to be the title for this episode. There you go. <laughs> so. After, you know, the clan invasion starts winding down and things start to settle, and the homeworld is kind of in a tizzy. There's the Wars of Possession. Uh, they absorb Clan Barak, uh, Nova Cat's defect, Clan Ghost Bear defects in your sphere. Uh, the Scorpions kind of stand by while a lot of this is going on. They don't really have a hand in much stuff going on until it comes to, what is that, Operation where... The, SL, the SLDF2 uh, electric boogaloo. Yeah, Bulldog. There we go. I was thinking Task Force Serpent, but yeah, I guess it's Operation Bulldog. Yeah, I mixed those up. I know Serpent. Serpent was the long-range strike against Huntress. Bulldog was the one just completely kicking the Jags in the teeth out of the inner sphere. Oh, then I am talking about Operation Serpent, not Bulldog. Yeah, so Operation... Okay, Task Force Serpent is the one that where the Clan Goliath Scorpion comes into play. So they kick the teeth in of the Smoke Jags and they chased them all the way to their home planet of Huntress and basically blew them off the planet and annihilated. After that happened, the clans didn't really like having uh, inner sphere presence in the homeworlds, especially on a clan homeworld that's so valuable, such as Huntress. So when the inner sphere eventually started pulling out to return, to the inner sphere, Clan Goliath Scorpion decided that they would take a portion of Huntress. Specifically, they would aim for the factory that produces Warhawks, but their primary goal was to start capturing the bloodlines of the Eridani Light Horse, which were occupying the planet and defending it. The Eridani Light Horse are an interesting subject in the eyes of the Goliath Scorpions. They're literally a living fossil of the SLDF. They're an unbroken mercenary line going all the way back to the SLDF days. Uh, they've existed the entire time, and they looked at them with, you know, a glean in their eye, like, hey, be in my library. <laughs> More of the uh, bloodline library, not necessarily the physical library. Now, why would they do that, though? Because these are free births, fearoid warriors i know the light horse was around during the original star league and i'm guessing that plays a part of it but what was it about the light horse that just made them go yeah we'll we'll mix blood here they were down light horse they were the tip of the spear for the assault on huntress if i'm not mistaken and they proved their worth in the eyes of at least the goliath scorpions on top of them being an artifact so I think where Jesse's going here is the scorpions are museum curators and the light horse represent a living piece of history that they want to curate and, and add to the museum. Exactly. The, the genetic mixing was a little bit more of a rogue thing later on. So we can, we can talk about that in just a minute. Um, but it was really just 
this is a living piece of the SLDF because that's what the the LH always was is continuing to maintain the ties to the Star League Defense Force act as if they were the forefront of the SLDF remaining in place achieving the, the mission that's that's yeah. fair because I've got yeah. my history goes for Twilight of the Clans book series stops and then picks up again with the Mech Warrior 2 and Mech Warrior 4 Mech Commander 2, Mech Warrior 4 video games. So there's that weird blight spot right when all this is happening where it is actually interesting because I, I miss out on a lot of things. Yeah, and in addition to going after the, the ELH, um, at the time they were looking at the remnants of Clan Smoke Jaguar as a piece of history that was about to slip away. So I think that was another thing that they were looking for is to try to capture any piece of clan smoke jaguar they could to preserve it so it wouldn't get lost to the sands of time that is also correct so i was focusing on the aerodyne light horse but retaining the bloodlines from uh the smoke jaguars are right up there with acquiring the aerodyne light horse bloodline uh now i will touch on how the goliath scorpions went about absorbing the aerodyne light horse because i think it's an interesting change of pace the con uh, i think her name was ariel suvarov basically befriended the regimental colonel Sandra Barclay and they supplied their Donnie light horse. They traded with them. And when it came down to a bachal of a trial of absorption, it was all fun and games at that point. It was more like an Olympic event than an actual battle. Clan Goliath Scorpion won, of course, and they absorbed their Donnie light horse, but it was more of a celebration for the Aerodonny light horse to officially join them and less so of them being claimed as a soil. And before everyone just goes up in arms, this was, I think that absorption actually happened during the jihad, um, or that that J word that we're not supposed to speak on podcast or or broadcast TV or anything. Um, But so the the core of the ELH uh, was stationed to Darien in the Inner Sphere, which was completely nuked. So this regiment of the ELH was literally the only thing that was left and they had no way to get home, and even if they did, there was nothing to go home to. So it was kind of a, you know, this is our best option to, to go forward. So that's why it was welcomed by by Barkley and the, the ELH. Um, it wasn't just, we, we need you in our, our forces now. Yeah, it was one of those uh, cake or death moments. You know, you can have your cake or you can have death, and they chose cake. And Pirate, to your earlier point, when you were asking about where some of these events happen, um, I would encourage people to go read. I think the the novel is Forever Faithful that was talking about Trent and the, the Smoke Jaguars and what happened after the Great Refusal. I think that's where some of these events happen with scorpions in them. And I think uh, Jay Hansen also has a book uh, revolving around the Meridani Light Horse absorption and the scorpions, if I'm not mistaken, or a book in that series. Yes, I think we, we can ask him. I think that's part of the, the ELH anthology. There you go. That's what it was. So let's move on from the Aerodonny Light Horse and all that. And we'll get into the Wars of Reaving and how the Goliath Scorpions got kicked out and are now an empire. Like we just said, they absorbed the Aerodonny Light Horse. Uh, their scientist cast started messing with the bloodlines, adding them in, which is a big no-no for the clans. The other clans found out didn't like it, uh, decided to have a trial of abjuration, kicked them out. The Goliath Scorpions saw the writing on the wall before the actual trial happened, and they were declared Desgra and 
they evacuated as much as they possibly could. Apparently, part of that evacuation was the Warhawk manufacturing facility because they're the one of the only factions that still have it. Man, those scientists really caused all kinds of problems during Wars of Reading. Yeah, it is what it is. So after they got kicked out, they conquered what is known as Nueva Castile, which was a small periphery nation, and renamed themselves the Escorpion Imperio. And they obviously speak Spanish in the Nueva Castile. And after that, they started basically building a little empire out in the periphery. They go from Nueva Castile to conquering the Hanseatic, uh, which is also known as the Hanseatic Crusade. But they're now a small empire called the Scorpion Empire out in the periphery, and they're slowly gaining power. If the original home world clans ever come back into the story, I have a feeling that they're going to come back and be an antagonist to the Scorpion Empire, because it's already been hinted at in some of the books and in some of the shrapnel stories. Yeah, and when the Scorpions got abjured, they were pretty much the the second most powerful clan behind Star Adder at the time, as far as the, the number of people in the clan, the strength of their units. And then later, once they were part of the Scorpion Empire, there was the, the Hellion absorption as well. Yes, that's correct. They also absorbed uh, Clan Ice Hellion, and they still have a Hellion cluster in their ranks in the Hill Clan. Well, I'm pulling so, up the uh, map here on Sarno, and you mentioned a small empire, but it's it's a little widely spread, but they're about the size of the... They're a bit larger than the Magistracy of Canopus, it looks like, when you add in the Hanseatic League and the Nueva Castile planets and in between there. They're it's spread out, but they're pretty sizable. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, they are taking some territory, but they're not as prominently featured as, I would say, the Torians or Magistracy of Canopus. They're the new kids on the block, for lack of a better term. Oh yeah, no, they're they're definitely uh, the uh, the town that's between two major cities. It's just a modest little region, that's all. Yeah, so there's a lot of little details that we're doing a high flyover. Like I'm not going to talk about seekers and their familiars or the Zulkari ch- uh, Bachal, which is a modified Bachal where you, they use a pair of daggers to fight each other, and why they call it the Dance of Scars or anything like that. Um, there's a lot of detailed history regarding the scorpions and i think they're one of the most interesting clans out there by far between their adherence to the sldf their indiana jonesing their seeker stars their science cast and the way they kind of collect everything and now that they're building an empire they're making some cool new mechs that are quad mechs and some that aren't quad that are really interesting i just think they're they're one of the factions to keep an eye on in the future speaking as the resident goliath scorpion player in the mrc jesse right yes that is correct i will use my snow foxes and rhinos and sun bear as much as i possibly can one of the things that we've kind of glossed over that as an outsider looking in even before i was doing any research for this the biggest thing that i knew about the goliath scorpions was really the necrosia usage so the, the usage of a hallucinogen for visions that then determined the quests that you went on and determined how they actually made decisions. It sounded very Novacadish, except they used drugs to get there. Yeah, and funnily enough, that's what everybody knows them for, but it's only a small subset of the actual clan. There's only the Seeker Galaxy that actually does that. The rest of them have 
no business touching the necrosia. Uh, I don't know. For me personally, my first interaction with Goliath Scorpion was uh, because I knew Nueva Castile first, somehow, because periphery player, best player. So when I was, <laughs> I see that I roll. So when I was, um, you know, trying to find out more about the Mayad Caliphate, Nueva Castile, okay, and then these Scorpions, you know, invade. Well, it was really interesting history you know, with them just basically going, we have nothing, so we're going to get these militia mechs, these pieces of crap industrial mechs, including one named the Reptar, which gives me all sorts of Rugrat vibes. But um, just the story of them, you know, basically saying we have nothing and building it up from scratch to becoming big enough to take on the Hanseatic League and be that boogeyman in the periphery for uh, storytelling purposes... I think that's, uh, you know, not for this episode, but I think that's something that's worth falling down a hole on Sarna for one day if anybody is looking to kill a couple hours. Yeah, one thing I will add uh, as a closing statement for the history aspect uh, and going on into the future into the Eel Clan with the Glass Scorpions is that they do have a trade agreement with Clan Seafox. So they are out on an island in the periphery, but they still are keeping tabs on what's going on in the inner sphere and they're still trading with the inner sphere. So they're getting some cross contamination. Like there's a unique or which should be unique mech that the scorpions have, which is a 25 ton quad mech called the snow Fox. And the only two MULs to have it are them and clan C Fox. So all of this new C Fox tech that they're creating should start cross-pollinating with the Goliath Scorpions. So I don't think they'll get left behind in the tech level for as like a typical periphery nation might be. And like you would consider the, the Marian hegemony or something like that. Well, as they're releasing new books and, and new lore over the coming year with the, the resurgence of Battletech, we'll see what Catalyst decides to do with Goliath Scorpion and the Scorpion Empire and where we go from here. Oh yeah, I can't wait till we get our own version of the Aries. Yeah. But for any of you out there that, that want more information, as Pirate said, go look at Sarna, uh, look at the, the read the Warden Clan's handbook, read War of Reaving, the, the Hanseatic Crusade stuff. Uh, there's several stories out there. As, as we mentioned, Hansa wrote a couple of things. So go check all that out if you're really interested in reading more on it. And you can certainly go down that rabbit hole for hours of your life. Last uh, plug I'll put in there is start reading about the green ghosts because I think that's an old piece of lore that never went anywhere that probably is going to be retconned. But if you read about the green ghosts, this is weird, wobby, scorpion, ice hellion, lyrian mashup. They, they start to come into play with the scorpions. We got through the history of Goliath Scorpion as a clan, but there are, you know, there are a number of characters throughout the history of Goliath Scorpion that we want to make sure that we pointed out. So, Jesse, who were the cons uh, during the founding? So the first con was Cyrus Elam. Like I mentioned before, he was part of the original SLDF Corps of Engineers. Uh, and then the Sakon was Jenna Scott, who was an infantry commander who was really good at predicting enemy movements. And another name that I know is highly sought after in Goliath Scorpion culture, but actually I believe was not an original Goliath Scorpion was Ethan Moreau. 
So he was a lore master. He's the one who started the Seeker movement, and he's the one who survived the effects of the Glass Scorpion Venom. And he's the one who decided to dilute it for the initiation rite for young warriors and why they had such a high casualty. <laughs> but he was not part of Nicholas Kerensky's exodus. He was someone that they actually ran into on Dagda that they found and brought into the clan after the Pentagon world's invasion. Yeah, he was uh, a Star League Defense Force officer and part of the Gunslinger program uh, back in the day, but he was forgiven by Nicholas Kerensky, and then he joined Clan Goliath Scorpion after the fact. So one of the, the first people to, to really join one of the clans after the Pentagon invasion. Yeah, and part of that was uh, he was not allowed to add his genetics into their breeding program. So look through the history of the next name that I see come up fairly often is a name that you already said, uh, Ariel Suvorov. Was there anyone kind of really between the founding and the clan invasion that was of note? Uh, I mean, there's a few names here and there, uh, but I wouldn't spend too much time on them. There's no real lore on them. It's just notable names that they have there for the sake of tracking time. The next one uh, would be Ariel Suvorov and her SOCOM, uh, Rick. Actually, I think he was just a Galaxy Commander, uh, Rick Myers. So they were the ones that planned this whole, hey, let's take over some of the stuff from Smoke Jags. Let's uh, end up absorbing the ELH. Yes. Is there any? Is there anything else out there about them that we want to highlight to the audience? Uh, so Rick Myers uh, actually plays an important part. Uh, I don't remember the name of the book series that follows this, uh, but it's the one where Paul Moon starts to go to Waypoint 513 or whatever it's called with the remaining smoke jaguars and tries to rebuild them from the ground up. And Rick Myers is the one who chases them and is utterly defeated and has to go farming for a year before he goes back to Ariel Suvorov with his tail between his legs, who then also messes up again. So Rick Myers is famous for pulling off what is known as Myers Folly, where he just kept messing up and losing honor and failing uh, for throughout this whole stretch until he was finally, uh, I think he was killed by the Eridani Light Horse before they were absorbed. Oh, I mean, everyone needs punching bag somewhere for lore stories, right? Yep, and he's the most famous. <laughs> he's got a whole folly name. The other Scorpion character that I'm aware of is Connor Rude, though he actually is not a Scorpion by birth. He was one of the Ice Hellions. If I remember correctly, he kept the, the Beta Galaxy of Ice Hellion um, throughout the Wars of Reaving, trying to keep the clan viable while their their con was going off on all kinds of idiotic missions um, and eventually he had all that was left of the ice aliens and was then eventually absorbed by the goliath scorpions and as part of that absorption he actually ended up becoming the the sakon there and later did he not become the actual con of the goliath scorpions too I think so, actually. Yeah, now that I think about it. Yeah, he ended up being becoming Khan. 
Yeah, check the notes here. So that's pretty impressive that uh, an individual who was a, a con of one clan was then absorbed and rose to become a con of a different clan. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. He was so good at being con that he had to do it twice. Well, I'll throw uh, one contender for almost as great a story as Emmy Line, who was a Hanseatic citizen who got, of course, conquered and became a warrior for Goliath Scorpion. And she rose through the ranks so hard that when uh, the Scorpion started having a near civil war with the preservers of Trueborn clan culture and the Imperials trying to welcome our, you know, their massive new populace in open arms. They actually gave Emmy the title of Tsar Khan to um, look over administrative needs for all the conquered peoples of the Hanseatic League, the Umayyads, and the Castilians. So she was literally a freeborn from the conquered peoples that rose through the ranks and got a high position. And she piloted a rhino and did a ramming attack. So more on her uh, and her story on Sarna. Oh, yeah. I read about that in one of the chapters. I don't remember which one. That was a good read. The story is moving forward, and it is in shrapnel number six. And now I'm going to go read shrapnel number six after this. <laughs> so those are some of the key characters that you can go looking for more information on. Again, Sarn is a great resource for all of this. But let's switch from kind of characters and lore and this fictional background into what we're looking at from a, a competitive landscape. What are some of the mechs and what are some of the tactics that we're going to run into? Because when we run up against a Goliath Scorpion player, I want to know what I'm going to see coming out of them. And one of the things to bear in mind is they have three different MULs. So if you're doing it from standard MRC setup, are you looking at a Clan Goliath Scorpion? Are you looking at a Scorpion Imperio? I'm not sure why they gave Scorpion Empire its own MUL instead of just building off of Imperio saying it got renamed. But there's a lot going on with these. And surprisingly, these Scorpion Imperios and Scorpion Empire don't get access to the periphery general list. No, they do not, which is unfortunate to say the least. But it's understandable considering they're not near most of the periphery nations that we all know and love. You can keep your rocket launchers at home. Yes, please do. Now, I mentioned earlier that they're known for swift and deadly strikes, uh, like their totem animal. And some of their mechs do emulate that, as we'll, as we'll see as we get into some of their more unique units. So the first and foremost, unfortunately, is their totem mech, known as the Fire Scorpion. It's a quad mech, and it's got a couple of variants. It's not great, but it is it's decent as more of a militia mech. It's got an AC-10 and an LBX-10 on one of the models, the Prime or the, the Fire Scorpion 1. Wow, sell me on this more, Chesty. No, I don't want to, because... I don't think it's a good mech. <laughs> I could tell by your tone. How do I make the thumbs down signal come across in an audio version? I will say it's got some interesting variants. Uh, there's one that's got a bunch of AP Goss rifles and jump jets. And 
I think it's got a regular Gauss rifle on it too. It's it's interesting, but I wouldn't use this as a core unit when you're building for the Scorpion Empire. You can use one as fire support maybe. Uh, it's cheap as far as battle value is concerned. It's a quad mech uh, for the perks and disadvantages that it has. It can't torso twist, but it can go to ground and stand up automatically, assuming all four legs are intact. So I'm really hearing that whole, you know, thanks for playing, but here's your consolation prize and moving on. Yep. There are much better quad mechs like the Rhino we mentioned earlier that they have in their repertoire going into the future eras. And then we also mentioned earlier that they are the only clan that still has access to the Warhawk uh, once you get into Ill Clan. So I know that's always been a, a very commonly used mech within the. How do you say that word? Tauman, Tumane? Tauman. Tauman. Yeah, it is. It's very common. It's a good assault mech. It's, they all, they've all got the targeting computer. I mean, yes, they might be periphery nation, but they still retain all of their clans. So challenge for you. Name a Warhawk that has ammo in the arms instead of lasers. I don't want to. The A, the one with the Gauss rifle. Okay. Isn't there one with a bunch of LRMs? But it's a struggle is my point, right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I had to think a lot. I'm not even sure that I'm right. I'm just taking a guess. I know there's one with a Gauss rifle instead of lasers. So I'm going somewhere with that because in the research for this, I put two and two together where they did say Goliath Scorpions like to use, besides targeting computers, they also like to use lasers and it reduces their dependency on ammo, that comes in really handy when you're in the periphery, especially far away from resupply. So, you know, most periphery nations, they try to go with lasers because you don't have to keep up with ammo. So I was also clicking, wait, some of the other mechs, Star, Python, etc., they all pretty much are energy boats. So... I think that might be a common theme if you were putting together a scorpion list. Go heavy on the lasers. Not just heavy lasers. Every clan went crazy with that HFAD, like, you know, some sort of jello mold. But the actual lasers themselves seems to be in vogue for the clan, Glide Scorpion. Yeah, it's especially noticeable uh, on the Seeker stars because they are very far and away, you know, out there from their supply chains. So they mainly take only laser boats on their Seeker Stars with limited uh, ammunition dependency. Yeah, if you've got a jump ship and a single broadsword class dropship, you don't have room for a whole lot and you're going to be gone for two years. Yep, lasers and PPCs are the way to go. You want to be ordnance independent. Precisely. Okay, so... Pirate, what are some of the the other mechs that come into play, especially once we get into the Scorpion Empire? Uh, obviously, there should be some periphery mechs that come in here. Yes, I don't know so much about the pre-Scorpion Empire, but once it hits Scorpion Empire, I'm still miffed that they don't have the Reconquista. That's, you know, budget Dollar General Orion, except with an internal combustion engine. But anyway... Um, they do have access to the Reptar and the Aranya, which are those militia mechs I mentioned that eventually became the Cazador 
and the Tuvlo, Tuvla, Tovlo. No, the, the Tolva. Yeah, that's Tolva. a really cool quad mech. That's one of the better ones. I would take a Tolva over a Fire Scorpion nine times out of ten. It's a fire support quad mech. It's, it has a role. It's like a, a, a baby catapult with four legs. And well, it doesn't have like three R mediums and a targeting computer or something like that. Uh, not this one. That's the Snow Fox. So, oh, okay. Like I said, uh, the Scorpion Empire still retains its clan tech, and they made a quad Omni Mech at twenty-five tons, based off of the quad non-Omni Mech, known as the Snow Fox. So the non-Omnimech version is around during the Scorpion Imperio and like the late Jihad, early Republic eras. And then once you get to late Republic and Clan, or I'm sorry, Ill Clan era, it's the Snow Fox Omni version. And it's a fast little bugger. It runs as fast as a Locust, I think, and it's got Mask. So it's almost like a Dasher, but it's got the advantage of being able to go prone at the drop of the hat to take advantage of cover and stand up for free, not needing to make a piloting check. Uh, it's Omni, of course. The Prime, or is it, it's either the Prime or the A, that has three ER medium lasers and a targeting computer. There's another version that has two or three flamers and two or three clan LRMs. Backing those up, you've got some of the um, newer designs as well. Like besides that, the uh, it, uh, Star Crusader. Like There's a bunch of names on here you're only going to see on here. Yes, uh, the Star Python was, it's actually uh, the, a newly made mech uh, that's specifically for the Scorpion Empire. And it's featured, uh, it becomes a plot point in that shrapnel story we were talking about. Uh, at least they mention it being newly created. And there's also stuff like uh, the Surter, which is... Hanseatic League. It's a Hanseatic League. Yes, it is a periphery mech that has a sword. Yay! Well, and seven flamers, because flamers are cheap. Very true. So it, you do retain some of those janky periphery mechs on the MUL for the Scorpion Empire, but you're also seeing new tech come out, like the Rhino with the Ramplate, the Quad Snow Fox Omni mech. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff to like when you look at these lists or, and these mechs, not to mention vehicles. Well, well, for vehicles, that's where I was getting at when I was mentioning weird word of Blake stuff, because you got the Star Python, which is actually the Nexus, right? Like they just took word of Blake tech somehow and cobbled it together and were like, well, this is ours now. But you also got the Star Crusader, which is a, is it a Grand Titan? Grand Crusader. Yeah, there's another Blakus mech that somehow, I don't know, maybe the Blakus had some bases out there, and they went, hey, we're going to take this to ER large, to ER mediums, there's those lasers again, streak LRM-20s, that just sounds fun, but, uh, you know, relatively new stuff, but there's a weird amalgamation of this Blakus crap, but also you got the Hellion stuff like the Drift Shag on top of the periphery jank, like, uh, you know, that suitor, and there's some cicadas, there's even a charger for some reason, the 1A1. It is a fun little melting pot of just everything and everything they seem to be dumping on the ground here. Yeah, it's a very strange mix of cutting-edge technology in addition to Inner Sphere Royal SLDF mechs on the same MUL. You can literally run a Black Knight 6B 
along with one of these brand new Ill Clan era mechs like the Snow Fox Omni. And no one's going to question it. Oh, it's Scorpion Empire? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. The Scorpions like their hot rods, which is what I would consider a Black Knight BLK-6B. Little B, which is the Royal Desert. And I'll toss out one other mech that I'm hesitant to because I don't want to see more of it. But in the spotlight on the Hellion Keshik, there was a explicit uh, record sheet on an awesome C, which is basically a Hellstar on a budget, only available for the Scorpion Empire. But if you ever really need to have a mech that has a lot of armor and can bring four clan tech ERPPCs to the battlefield, that'll do it. Oh, that sounds dirty. It's really dirty. I almost brought one to Nashcon, but I thought better. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad we don't have to play as our faction choice then because I think I'm going to be running that the next chance I get. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to cut this out or not, letting the, the general public have more exposure to the fact that that exists. Well, but if you're in that era and you're having to deal with all the other bullcrap that's there, I think uh, health, you know, budget health star is not the worst thing you could be facing on the battlefield. True. I mean, Gaussilla True. exists, so. Yeah, you only have to worry about it in the Dark Age and the Ill Clan. So, you know, there's other things to worry about, like, you know, hammerheads running around with Martin. So to summarize, I'm hearing, you know, the Scorpion Empire has a, a wide mix of units that can fulfill a number of different roles, tends to be very laser heavy, uh, tends to have a lot of targeted computers, tends to have a lot of dueling type things. Uh, I know that we, we've kind of glossed over the dueling aspect of it. But again, just trying to avoid a lot of extra ammunition dependencies and a, a mix of speeds. So you, you kind of have a, a melting pot of all kinds of different ways you can structure a, a Scorpion Empire, Goliath Scorpion, Star, or Binary, or Cluster. Yeah, definitely. They're very flexible. They're very friendly to combined arms. We haven't even touched on infantry or vehicles, really, or their protomex that they had available for a while there. Uh, but they're very, very flexible, and there's a lot to like in their enemy. Oh, wow. Sure. Why don't you break us down? What's the, what's the speed version of uh, vehicles? A lot of hard and fast uh, hitting stuff. And combined arms, so you'll see a lot of artillery as well, which is not something you'd expect from a clan. But considering they throw back to their SLDF roots, uh, they do utilize it. Well, they're not clan anymore. They've got these trench warfare boys that have been fighting in the Castiles the whole time, so that might come into play there too with that melting bot. Realistically, is anything clan anymore once you get to ill clan? Uh, Everybody has access to everything. <laughs> Homeworld clans, except they don't exist yet, so I guess we can't write them in. Anything else on mechs and weapons and tactics? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. I don't, I don't think we missed anything. Their totem mech sucks. Yeah, well, their original totem mech sucks. I'd like to think that a lot of their other quads have taken the place of it. So scorpions go with quad mechs. Got it. Actually, they do have a good amount of viable quad max, so yes, go for it. They got the Thunder Stallion, baby. Hell yeah. Need to do a battle of the quaddies and bash them up against uh, Hell's Horses one day. That'll be fun. I'm sure Vapor will take you up on that. 
uh, in a heartbeat. All right, so moving on to to units. I mean, given that this is a clan that has gone through significant changes, uh, I mean, they have the standard alpha, beta, gamma galaxies, several of which were disbanded throughout time. There wasn't any kind of standout unit that that really kind of jumps out as saying, hey, this is a a storied unit other than the Heart Venom Cluster. Um, So that was the unit that actually did the training for Wolf's Dragoons when they were going on the the, the Dragon Compromise in the, the early, I think it was like 3005, something like that. Yeah, it was 3002, I think. Otherwise, they had the Seeker cluster um, and the Crimson Seeker star specifically. And then they have Hellion Galaxy, which is where all of the the Hellions that were absorbed tended to to come home. So that particular unit tends to be substantially faster and more maneuverable than anything else in the the Scorpion Empire TO&E. Yeah, I've painted up some Scorpions in the past, and I think I did Hellion Galaxy, which is the beige and black. There's not too much variety with their paint jobs, but there are a few uh, to choose from. They do have some blue, which is why I'm allowed to like them. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of their their paint schemes tend to lean very heavily on browns and tans and reds. Uh, Usually most of the, the Matrix Galaxies, even the disbanded ones, have some combination of that color in. Um, there are a few highlight things uh, like Kai Galaxy does have this cool little thing where they uh, they paint their preferred dueling weapon a bright poison green. So they, they tend to have a single weapon on their unit that they choose to duel with um, that is, is bright green. So that's kind of a, a cool little thing that you can do with your own paint schemes. But but otherwise, they're fairly fairly muted in a lot of cases. There's not a lot of color out there. Yeah, there's some greens. The Scorpion Keshik is red and yellow. Uh, there's there's not much. But the stuff they do have, like the Heart Venom Cluster, will stand out if you paint something black with a shocking bright green on a particular weapon with, like, you know, some poison dripping off or trailing off or whatever. That would be pretty sick. Well, and their unit insignias, you know, I'm not sure what alpha galaxy is meant to be there um i believe that's the kind of the 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 rock that ethan moreau was found on in dagda oh okay that's fair it's the towering obsidian spire of moreau's dagger actually so you weren't far off actually on that wild guess well where i was going with uh insignias is they have gamma galaxy which is literally a caveman drinking from a chalice. And, you know, I was trying to figure out why would they have that? A lot of times things from ancient Terra get woven into the tapestry of lore here. I think that might actually be a symbol for Orion the Hunter because he was a very primitive Greek mythology figure. And Orion, in many of the stories, was stung by Scorpio. And Gamma Galaxy disappears as they go into the Scorpion Empire. So I think there's a nice little woven thread there where that's Orion. It's stung when the Scorpion Scorpion Imperio becomes a thing. Uh, You know, that's a symbol of that linked story moving on. Hey, that's actually really insightful. Hey, Pirate. 
as a Scorpio myself, uh, I tend to pay attention to that. <laughs> Learn the most random factoids from you. Yep. And now you won't lose the next time trivia comes around. But uh, all said and done, there is a decent variety when it comes to paint jobs. There, You can go from brown to red to white and blue. Uh, so you're not just stuck painting everything green or red or whatever. You can jump around a bit, depending on what galaxy you want to paint. Or do the grunt galaxy. And that's literally what it's called. It's all the garrison forces from the Castilians. And they kind of really didn't have a job. So custom faction or custom paint schemes are absolutely legal in the Grunt Galaxy. So now the call to action to you, the listener, is to paint up something or grab something you've already painted in Goliath Scorpion... Scorpio Imperio, Scorpion Empire, whatever you want to call it, uh, and post it into the thread that we'll be starting in the Mech Factory on the MRC Discord. So looking forward to seeing what everyone has. And again, we'll we'll talk about all the the submissions on our next lore episode whenever we get around to recording that. Eventually. We'll get there. We will. I might have to source a Cazador uh, for this one. Oh yeah, it's a cool looking mech. So is the Cerner. At least the, you know, the silhouette that they have for the art is pretty cool looking. Didn't that silhouette just say it's a Wolverine with a sword? Hey, hey, shush. <laughs> we we don't say that word in the clans. We don't say that word. That's right. Oh, fine. <laughs> we'll make you a claner yet. I don't know if we want them. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, is there anything else that we want to cover for Goliath Scorpion? I think we touched on all the major points there. Anything else, Pirate? The Goliath Scorpion weighs uh, half a pound. Ah, oh, boo. Ah, oh, there goes my head cannon. Making it's a, a giant dog ass. still a big ass scorpion. It's about three inches tall and about uh, nine inches long. I've got a two pound kitten here that could take out a three inch long scorpion. Don't give me Ah, well, at least the venom's potent. It can be like that fish you caught. It just gets bigger every time you tell the story. Man, that thing was about the size of a Toyota. I like that better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that about wraps up another episode of The Coolant Pod. We at The Coolant Pod really appreciate all of our listeners, especially those of you that made it through the end of this episode. For those of you that are members of the MRC, we highly encourage everyone to check out the Discord. Links are in the show notes to come and join a great community of like-minded Battletech players uh, scattered across the world. Share your hobby, share our love for this game, and just meet a, a, a bunch of great people. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please feel free to contact us on the Discord. And we'll be back soon with another new episode. But until then, we will see you across the battlefield. We'll see you guys next time. Adios.